So when I did see the house again, almost thirty years on from that first visit and shortly after the end of another war, the changes in it appalled me. It was the purest chance that took me out there, for the heirs were registered with my partner, David Graham, but he was busy with an emergency case that day, so when the family sent for a doctor the request was passed on to me. My heart began to sink almost the moment I let myself into the park. I remembered a long approach to the house, through neat rhododendron and laurel. But the park was now so overgrown and untended, my small car had to fight its way down the drive. When I broke free of the bushes at last and found myself on a sweep of lumpy gravel, with the hall directly ahead of me, I put on the brake and gaped in dismay. The house was smaller than in memory, of course, not quite the mansion I'd been recalling, but I'd been expecting that. What horrified me were the signs of decay. Sections of the lovely weathered edgings seemed to have fallen completely away, so that the house's uncertain Georgian outline was even more tentative than before. Ivy had spread, then patchily died, and hung like tangled rat's tail hair. The steps leading up to the broad front door were cracked, with weeds growing lushly up through the seams. I parked my car, climbed out, and almost feared to slam the door. The place, for so large and solid a structure, felt precarious. No one appeared to have heard me arrive, so after a little hesitation I went crunching over the gravel and gingerly climbed the cracked stone steps. It was a hot, still summer's day so windless that when I tugged on the tarnished old brass and ivory bell-pull, I caught the ring of it, pure and clear, but distant, as if in the belly of the house. The ring was immediately followed by the faint, gruff barking of a dog. The barks were very soon cut off, and for another long minute there was silence. Then from somewhere to my right I heard the scrape of an irregular footstep, and a moment later the son of the family, Roderick, appeared around the corner of the house. He squinted over at me with some suspicion until noticing the bag in my hand. Drawing a collapsed-looking cigarette from his mouth, he called, "'You're the doctor, are you? We were expecting Dr. Graham.' His tone was friendly enough, but had a touch of languor to it, as if he were bored by the sight of me already. I left the steps and went over to him, introducing myself as Graham's partner, explaining about Graham's emergency case. He answered blandly, well, it's good of you to come out. On a Sunday, too, and such a filthy hot one. Come this way, would you? It's quicker than going right through the house. I'm Roderick Ayres, by the way. We had, in fact, met before, on more than one occasion, but he'd clearly forgotten that, and as we moved off he gave me his hand for a perfunctory shake. His fingers felt queer against mine, rough as crocodile in some spots, oddly smooth in others. His hands had been burnt, I knew, in a wartime accident, along with a good part of his face. The scars aside, he was handsome, taller than me, but at twenty-four still boyish and slender. He was dressed boyishly, too, in an open-necked shirt, summer trousers, and stained canvas shoes. He walked unhurriedly and with a noticeable limp. He said as he went, "'You know why we called you, I suppose?' I said, "'I was told for one of your maids.' "'One of our maids. I like that. There's only the one. Our girl Betty. Some stomach problem, it seems to be.' He looked dubious. "'I don't know. My mother, my sister, and I tend to manage without doctors, as a rule. 
We muddle through with colds and headaches. But I gather that neglecting the servants is a capital offence these days. They're to get better treatment than us, apparently. So we thought we ought to send for someone. Watch your step just here, look. He had taken me along a gravelled terrace which ran the length of the north side of the hall. He indicated a spot where the terrace had subsided, making for treacherous dips and cracks. I picked my way around them, interested to have been given a chance to see this side of the house, but aghast again at how badly the place had been allowed to decline. The garden was a chaos of nettle and bindweed. There was a faint but definite whiff of blocked drains. The windows we passed were streaked and dusty, all were closed and most were shuttered, except for a pair of glass doors which stood open at the top of a set of flying stone steps, wound about with convolvulus. They gave me a view of a large, untidy room, a desk with a mess of papers on it, an edge of brocade curtain. That was all I had time to see. We had reached a narrow service doorway, and Roderick was standing aside to let me pass. "'Go on, would you?' he said, gesturing with one of his scarred hands. "'My sister's downstairs. She'll show you to Betty and fill you in.' Only later— Recalling his injured leg, would I guess that he must not have wanted me to see him struggling with stairs. As it was, I thought his manner rather casual, and I went past him, saying nothing. 